morning, Canoe Creek. Uh, my name is Todd, and yes, I do look a lot like Doug. I have a little bit more hair than he does, but that day is coming for me to be completely slick. Uh, I want to add my welcome to what Doug just gave to you as well. We hope that you felt welcome from the time that you got out of your car to the time you found your seat in this auditorium. Um, and I know what a lot of you are thinking. Todd's on the stage. That means it's graduation Sunday. It is not. It is actually August. It's just a random Sunday in August, and I get the opportunity to teach you this morning and speak as God has spoken to me during preparation this week, and I'm excited to be here with you. And this morning, just to get us started, what I want you to do is I want you to think in your mind, uh, kind of interactively with me, what you see and think of when you think of the word courage. What is the definition? What is the picture that comes to mind when you hear the word courage? Because I define the courage, probably, the word courage probably a little different than you might define it, but I define it as, as really being able to persevere or push through something that's a little bit unnerving, a little bit scary. And so when I think about courage, I think about my son, J.D., and I'm going to tell you why through a story of mine. So about six months ago, we decided that our family was not complete. No, we're not having another child. No. <laughs> we decided to buy a puppy because, and this was, this was the sales pitch that I made to my wife because this was 100% my idea. And I've been told that multiple times since then. I said, babe, look, Lexi, our older dog, she's about 14. She's getting a little long in the, in the, in the beard. She's a little gray. And I've read that it's better to have a puppy come in during the last quarter of the dog's life so they can help you train the dog. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. And it's another dog. We already have one. How hard could it be? So I want you to know since then, my argument for, my, for the dog has been proven to be wrong um, it is, in fact, harder to have two than it was to have one. Our life has been changed dramatically over the last six months. And the younger dog, the puppy, has now created a, a, an anxiety in my older dog that whenever they're out together, the older dog goes and hides in the closet and then looks at me like, hey, shut the door behind me, bro. Like, so it's, it's been bad for everybody really except J.D. J.D. is my oldest, and he loves Ryder. You're going to see some pictures on the screen of J.D.'s life with Ryder. And so J.D. will pick Ryder up and he'll sit him down and just love on him. And he's getting a little too big to be in the lap now, but he just he loves Ryder so, so much. And so at the end of the summer, I had been done with, with camp and CIY, and it was time for Susan to go on a vacation with her mom and her sister. And so anytime Susan goes out of town, that's my wife. I have one job objective that she tells me. Todd, I want the kids to be alive and unharmed when I get home. I can do that. Most of the time I succeed pretty well. Did not succeed this time. So JD and, and Jenny are outside playing with the dog. We've just moved into a new house. So I'm in the garage unpacking some boxes. And all of a sudden I hear Jenny come in and say, JD just got bit by Ryder. Now, it was not like aggressive. He wasn't going after him. They were playing, and Ryder picked up J.D.'s shoe and was chewing on his shoe, and J.D. tried to get it back, and Ryder tried to get the shoe, just purely an accident. And so my kids can tend to be dramatic. I, I really don't know where they get their, their overreaction from. I guess it's their mom. And so 
so I'm like, all right, okay, I'm going to go in here. This kid's going to have like just a little scratch and I'm going to have to give him a Band-Aid and a hug and say, you're fine. So I go inside to his room and I could hear him crying from his room, and which is not abnormal, like when he gets hurt. And so I'm like walking around the corner and he's just bawling, crying, can't see straight. He's crying so hard. And I look and JD is bleeding profusely. And I'm like, that's not going to be fixed by a Band-Aid. And so I have to make that call. And guys, if you have children and your wife's been out of town, you know the call I'm talking about. I said, hey, babe, two questions real quick. I don't want to take you away from your mom. Where's the insurance card? And what hospital can I take JD to? Because he just got bit by Ryder. So the wife that's already not real fond of the dog does not like the dog anymore right now. She's all up in her feelings. And so J.D. and I go to the hospital, which is the second picture that you see right there. And, and J.D. had a pretty good attitude about it, but until the Humane Society person comes in, as she starts talking about some different things. And I asked the question, I was like, I've never had this happen. Does the, does the dog have to be put down because he, he bit somebody? I don't know. And... She's, and we're talking through, she goes, well, that's last resort. You know, you, if you surrender the dog to us, um, he has to have a 10-day quarantine and all this stuff. And my son is laying on a hospital bed, hearing this conversation. He's been poked. He's been prodded. He's been weighed. He's had his temperature taken. He's had questions asked to him. He's had an ultrasound. He's had x-rays, all of this stuff to drive the bill up. I'm just playing. He's had all of these things that have happened to him. And he looks at me and he says, Daddy, don't sell my dog. Don't get rid of my dog. I'm like, bro, like the dog just attacked you. Like you should be the first one in line to say, hey, get rid of this thing. But he didn't want to get rid of the dog. And so we decided to let the dog do the 10-day quarantine, which I didn't even know that was a thing, um, at, back at the, our house with us. And, but no one could go near him except for me. Like I was only in charge of feeding him and taking him out, in and out because I guess if he bit me, it didn't matter. I don't know. And, and so we're, we're going through this and, and we get home and J.D. goes right to the kennel, puts his hand on the kennel and says, hey, buddy, I love you and I forgive you. I mean, come on, that's courage. My kid just came back from a traumatic event and all he thought about was that he loved his dog. After 10 days, the, the third picture you see is JD just walking the dog because he's like, hey, 10 days is up. Let's go walk the dog. And then the last one I just took last week because I knew I was going to use it as a sermon illustration. And the dog sat on command, by the way. JD puts his arm around him, just hugs on him. That's courage for me. Courage for you may look different. We think about the definition of courage may look different for all of us. But courage could be what, how you react with a loss of life in your family. Courage could be facing an illness either in yourself or in a family member. Courage could be how you, how you push through financial troubles, how you push through marital issues or the possibility of divorce. Courage looks very different for all of us, but courage is a virtue that God has given to us that works best with his involvement. That works best with his involvement. Courage is, is making decisions that are gonna impact our life right now, but also impact our life down the road. This series is called Five Years From Now, and it's really predicated on the question, who will I become? In five years, who will I become? 
That's the kind of person that I'm going to become. A projective look at our life five years from now. But what I want to do this morning to really kind of kick this series off is I want us not to look forward, but I want us to look back. What was our life like five years ago? Versus what it is now. Who am I compared to what I was five years ago? When we ask ourselves that question, you really can't answer it without asking a couple of follow-up questions. Like, do I like who I've become over the last five years? Has my relationship with God grown over the last five years? And just like I'm asking you to think about that, I've asked myself to think about that. Five years ago, I wasn't even living in Florida. Five years ago, I was in Memphis. My life is dramatically different than it was five years ago, both you know, culturally, physically, and spiritually because of what God's brought me through. And so when we ask ourselves these questions, I really think that when we answer them, the answers will probably correlate. Because has my relationship grown with God? If the answer is yes, we're probably gonna be okay or pretty proud of where we are and who we are and who we've become because of the decisions, the choices, the patterns, the behaviors in life that we've executed over the last five years. If the answer is no, then maybe some of those questions or maybe some of those patterns of behavior and choices need to change for us to be different five years from now. Because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and hoping for a different result. So if I don't like who I've become over the last five years, but I don't change any of my choices, any of my behaviors, any of my patterns, I'm not going to like who I end up five years from now. And the question is, do I have the courage to change and let God move in me? King Solomon was one of the wisest men that walked the face of this earth outside of Jesus. And when King Solomon spoke, people listened. And I love how he starts Proverbs 12 because he really poses a, a really good problem for us. He says right here, Proverbs 12, verse 1, he says, To learn you must want to be taught. To refuse reproof or correction is stupid. Now, my daughter Jenny would tell me stupid's a bad word, and you may agree, but King Solomon is saying, if you want to learn, you have to be willing to be taught. If we want to be better at our job, we have to be willing to learn some things we don't know. We have to be willing to come into our boss's office from time to time and he say, hey, or she say, hey, you've done this really well over the last quarter, but you've done some of these things not so well and we need you to improve upon those so that you can be the best employee possible for our company. God's wanting us to be the best version of ourselves for him and his glory. He's wanting us to look more and more like him today than we did yesterday. He's wanting us to grow in him continually. And that's the question is, do you want to be taught? In the life of a believer, it really takes on three different areas. Justification, which is to be made right before God. Once for all, that's what Jesus did on the cross. He said, hey, something has happened in your relationship with God. Man sinned and created a divide in the relationship. And because of that, Jesus came down with one purpose in mind, to make that relationship better through the giving of his life on a cross 
for your sins and for my sins. That's what justification is when you read about that in the Bible. There's another aspect of the Christian walk. It's called glorification. It's when we cross from this life into the next life and we're standing before a holy God and we're glorified in his presence, full of his glory, full of his holiness, and exactly what we want it to be. But the question is, what happens between the justification and the glorification here on this earth? It's an idea of sanctification. It's a big fancy word for God coming in and changing us and growing us and making us into what he wants us to be, into a pursuit of holiness that looks like him. Because see, change is something that's gonna require our cooperation. It's gonna require our buy-in. Just like Solomon asked us, if you want to learn, you have to be willing to be taught. God's saying, if you want to change, you have to be willing to cooperate with me. Galatians chapter 5 says this. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross. They've crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of of our lives. Paul's talking to the church in Galatia and he's saying, hey, you claim to be a believer. That means the spirit of God is inside of you. So now if you're gonna live by the spirit, we have to let our lives follow the spirit's guiding in every aspect of our life. That's not a very comfortable position to be in where we pull back the curtain to God and say, hey, here's every aspect of my life. Here's my work. Here's my family. Here's my life. Here's everything that I have, have access to me. Tell me where I'm doing wrong. Make me better. I had a preacher growing up, Sean Parker. He said this one time. He said, man, I tell you what, Christians can do anything they want to do. So I'm like 18 or 19 when I heard that. I was like, all right, I'm going to lean into that. I like that phrase. And then he goes, but the problem is our Christian want-tos change. He was talking about the idea that God's spirit has come inside us and no longer do we want for the things that are good for us. We want for the glory of God. We're taking just what Paul said, our sinful desires and the passions of this world, and we're saying, hey, I'm going to put that on the cross of Jesus, and I'm going to pursue holiness. I'm going to pursue righteousness for God in my life. But it's going to require change and our cooperation in it. Do you want to be taught because change is also going to require discipline. See, for me, discipline has two different kind of connotations. There's being disciplined and then there's having discipline. And with my children, I discipline them when they do something that I think is a behavior that isn't respectful, isn't producing a righteous living and righteous life because I want to create in them good little human beings. That's my goal. That's my job is to create good humans out of them that, that chase after the Lord and that want to be better. And when I discipline them, hopefully those things are gonna stick with them and that's gonna become a discipline in them so their behavior becomes appropriate. They say, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Yes, sir, and no, sir. God's wanting to do the same thing with us and sometimes discipline is gonna be painful. The author of Hebrews says this, says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful, but afterwards there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained this way. Nobody likes to be disciplined. Nobody likes to be told they're wrong. 
or they're doing something incorrectly. But the goal of God coming in and disciplining us to change us is to produce a right living, to produce a harvest that is right living before a holy and just God. Change will require cooperation with the spirit in us. Change is also gonna require us being disciplined so that we can have discipline in our lives. But if we really sum it up, very simply put, change is going to require courage. Courage to be radically different than the people around us. In the book of Galatians, Paul tells us that this is what the the fruits of the flesh are, but here's what the fruits of the spirit, they're radically different. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are nine aspects of life that are radically different than this world. Do you want to be taught? Because if the answer is yes, and we hold nothing back, God's gonna come in and do a work that is fantastic in our life, that's gonna produce a right life of living. It's gonna draw us towards the idea of holiness. I wanted to share a quote with you this morning. A 17th century theologian and pastor, his name is Richard Baxter. This is what it says, it's talking about holiness. It says, holiness is nothing else but a habitual and predominant devotion and dedication of soul and of body and of life and all that we have to God and esteeming him and loving him and serving him and seeking him before all the pleasure and prosperity of the flesh. If we wanna be taught, if we wanna change, if we wanna pursue holiness that God wants us to do, then we absolutely have to lay down the prosperities and pleasures of this flesh. When I was 17 years old, I was making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And I began to ask myself, where do I want to be in five years? What do I want to look like in five years? Because if I keep making the same choices, I'm not going to end up with a really good result. And so I leaned into what the spirit had for me because I wanted to be different. I wanted a different result. Truth be told, I didn't want to be grounded anymore. But it led me towards a a place of, of righteousness. It led me towards a pursuit of holiness that I hadn't had before. Five years from now, what changes need to happen for you to be the kind of person you want to become? wanted to end this sermon with with a toy because that's what I do. So this is Stretch Armstrong. I played with this toy, not this one, when I was little. And the, the premise of Stretch Armstrong is that you can pull him and stretch him and it goes back into position eventually. But what God's wanting to do with us today is he's wanting to come in and he's wanting to stretch us. He's wanting to pull us He's wanting to to shape us into holiness so that we can become more like him day after day, week after week, month after month, so that five years from now, we can look back at today, August 28, 2022, and we can say, I like what I've become because I made different choices. 
had the courage to make different choices, the courage to maybe walk away from a lifestyle and a friend group that was pulling me down instead of lifting me up. But it comes down to that very first thing. Are we willing to be taught? God wants to give us and change us into holiness, but we have to be willing to be taught. Pray with me. Dear God, I just thank you, God, just for everything that's happening in this building. God, from our children and our, our children's wing that are being taught your truths to hide in their little hearts to this room, where we're being challenged to, to have the courage to step into some change that you're calling us to, to the adult classes that are going on, to the students that are being taught. God, we just pray that you are just doing a, a mighty work through this entire building in your name. God, that people's lives are being changed towards holiness throughout this building, throughout this town, throughout this state, throughout this country. That we would be a people that are willing to make some hard, difficult choices to change that, that might affect right now, but they're definitely gonna affect down the road. And God, I just thank you, God, for the opportunity just to speak your word. In your holy name we pray, amen.